Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The normal question, the first question is always, are these cannibals? They are not cannibals. Cannibalism in the true sense of the word implies an interspecies activity. Welcome, everybody, to episode 128 of DMT. I'm your host, Frank Branches, alongside my uh, co-host, Jack, the great zombie king himself, Wallen. Jack, how are you? I am doing fan-freaking-tastic. Cat's <laughs> uh, on assignment this week, so hope, we'll hope that uh, we have her here next week. Uh, we're going to have a pretty good show. We missed last week, so we have a couple of uh, episodes of The Walking Dead to talk to you. I've, I've got an interesting story to talk about um, after we get uh, to that point. So why don't we delve right into it, Jack? Um, do you want to kind of give a synopsis of the past couple of episodes? I, 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 my memory sucks. So, <laughs> so, so does mine. <laughs> the, the one before, I mean, the only thing I, I remember about the episode before was... Burying Tyrese and the end, this strange guy appears. Right. Right? Well, it seems like the um, the episode before you buried Tyrese, you walked, you walked, you walked, you found a barn, yeah. you slept, and yep. you well before you slept, a bunch of zombies attempted to break into the barn. Mm-hmm. Then you slept, and then you <laughs> woke up, and a bunch of trees were down. Yep. Uh, tornado, right? Or some sort well, that, of storm? That, that's, one, that's my problem. The, I liked the episode. I really did. I thought that it, it offered a great moment for uh, a number of the characters to, to really um, – it, 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 what it did was it showed them once again surviving and it showed them it, – it took, it took one little element of survival and that is the lack of water mm-hmm. and showed its effect – not just the physical, but the mental effect it can have on people. Yeah. And, and, and if you watch it in the right way, you saw, you know, you, 
there are so many people out there that say, well, I could survive the apocalypse, blah, blah, blah. And then to them, I, a lot of them, I would like to say, well, you probably can't if you can't find potable water. Yeah, yeah. We, because let's face it, you go a, a week without water and that's it. Yeah. If you can't find it, you're dead. That's, yep. as, far, that's as long as your body can go. Uh, and you have to be really creative in your sources. So I loved that element of the episode. What I didn't, I, I had problem with is this. I have had tornadoes go right by me. Mm-hmm. My dad and I, I grew up in, you know, uh, north central Indiana. So tornadoes were common. And my dad and I would sit out on the front porch um, during tornado storms and we would, you know, watch them not right in front of our front yard, but we watched them in the distance and we, you could hear them. Mm-hmm. And if a tornado came through that area as close as they, they presume that it did, those people would not have slept through it. Yeah, um, no Not question about all. that. No question. I I actually had a tornado in Denver when I lived uh, in Denver proper, go right through my backyard, and yeah, no question. The, the noise alone. Yeah. I mean, they're noisy. It, I mean, it's like a train. Mm-hmm. No and, question. You know, if if a storm like that is coming, and and you're in a rickety old barn like that, yes, there. I have been in situations, um, where. I, I have a tornado has gone through and it's it's insane at what the tornado demolishes and what is left standing. So it is it is possible that a tornado can go through that area, rip down all of these massive trees and leave this rickety old barn standing. It mm-hmm. is possible. Mm-hmm. So that's not that's not where I had the problem. Mm-hmm. Where I had the problem was is that they just wake up. Yeah. Yeah. The next morning. I mean, if a tornado is – if it's that bad that it's going to rip up those those trees like that, they're not going to be sleeping. No and, way. And more than likely, they're going to be – there's there's going to be some concern of their safety in that old barn. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it, it was like that's – that mother nature is the thing that we're going to fight the most mm-hmm. in the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. The weather, inclement weather is going to wreak havoc on us. And And I felt like they just glossed over something that they could have really, you know – they spent so much time walking in the episode, and then they had this awesome environmental situation where they had this thunderstorm, which is awesome, mm-hmm. and then you have these zombies trying to break in, and then they wake up the next morning and a tornado's gone through. Yeah, yeah. It was no, just like, come on. There's there's no question about that. Hey, um, I'm going to throw something <clears throat> in here, just a little Easter egg. I, I forgot to mention that we, we have a interview with Kia Roach-Turner from Worm, Wormwood, another post-apocalyptic zombie movie, but it, it's awesome. I, I urge everybody to go see it just real quickly. I, I just want to throw that out there for an Easter egg. I don't want people to listen to the end of the show and not listen to the full interview. It's it's great. Uh, Kat had the opportunity to to do it, so stay tuned and listen to it. Um, it's going to be awesome. But anyways, I agree with you, Jack. Um, I Like I said, I've, I've been through a tornado, went right through my backyard, and you're right. Like a tornado – this is what a tornado did um, when I went through it. It took off shingles. Mm-hmm. It destroyed a house. It destroyed a garage. But it also lifted a boat and placed it perfectly on another person's garage and didn't didn't damage it at all. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Like that part of it, I agree. There's there's yeah. precedence for that, you know. And, 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 and now you have to you have to stop yourself and say, okay, 
I'm willing to suspend disbelief right. for zombies, but not for weather. So I'm not saying that, you know, it totally ruined the episode because it didn't. But what all I'm saying is that they should have they could have at least made mention mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. of a, a tornado or something. Because when they open the door and they walk out and there's all these down trees, that wind would not have done that. Yeah. Because the root system on those trees was way too way too strong for just wind to break them down unless it was hurricane wind which it wasn't right 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 no you're absolutely right it had to have been a tornado so even a mention of it i mean i know they they did kind of look out in the distance and saw gray skies so maybe that was their Mm -hmm. way of telling you that but but i agree um towards the end of the episode i think it's towards the end of the episode they they're like you said walking and they're they're thirsty right yeah and and that's another thing that was a great part of the episode but i kind of felt that episode was kind of forget i, I just forgot it that's how yeah. you yeah. know whatever it was well that's that's part of the problem i think with with the episodes that that focus so much on character development mm-hmm. is that you know they're easy they're very easy to forget until you go into the you know you go into the next episode you go oh yeah i remember that but we're, they're not just they're just not the, that memorable yeah yeah for sure uh i do remember some water on the road and yes they, they and then we thirsty. find out in the next episode where that water came from right and and the you know last sunday's episode was fascinating in a lot of different ways um and and one of the things i brought up to another group that i i speak with was that um last week's episode really hit home just how precious the commodity of trust is when the apocalypse when it comes to the apocalypse mm-hmm. we're not going to know who we can trust outside of those that we am, we that we have lived with that we loved we won't and even then you know when life is on the line when survival comes down to there's one bottle of water who gets it trust is going to be a hard thing to come by Absolutely. And, you know, every moment of that episode. Now, of course, we've got all of a sudden we've got the Rick Tater ship rearing its ugly head again. You know, Rick losing his marbles again. And, you know, understandably so. You know, all of a sudden it's it's like, okay, there's another group wanting us to be a part of them. Do we trust them? Blah, blah, blah. Which also feeds into another one of my issues. I, I, I just... Every time this sort of thing comes up, I start I start getting – my spine starts shrinking a little bit and it's like, is this just going to be the governor all over again? Mm-hmm. Are they going to – they're going to travel and travel and find another place to stay for a while and then that's going to go to hell and then they're going to travel and travel again. And you know that's they've, – they've worn that welcome out. I think. Right. This is the point I was I was making to my wife when we were watching uh this episode. By the way, it's a great episode. I Yeah, I, it is. It was. I, yeah. I make no bones about it. It was one of my favorite episodes uh I think of all seasons. I yeah. really enjoyed it. Um yeah. but I made the point like they're they're treading down the same path um again. You know, it's yeah. it's heading towards that way. I mean, we find out later that maybe it's not the case, but I told my wife, I was like, because she's like, oh, you know, maybe they did find a a good place to stay. I was like, no, they didn't because there's going to be conflict here. You know, either it's going to be another governor, um, uh, you know, the rest of the way we're going to deal with the governor-like scenario or we're going to deal 
with you know an outside conflict. Yeah, um, and that's what I think it is. I don't think it's going to be another governor um, issue because you know we find out that these um, guys were, which was another great thing in the episode. You know, there are going to be gay people in the, in yeah. the apocalypse. You know, yeah. that's that was awesome. I, I yeah. thought that was really I agree. brave and bold. And and here's to everybody out there that has had a dumbass, narrow-minded, knee-jerk reaction to that. I want to say this. Had that been Rosita and Maggie, mm-hmm. this wouldn't be a topic. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, man. But because it was two men, everybody is, you up know, arms, they, have, right? they have shoved their arms up their ass and, and are trying to, you know, using themselves as a puppet and speaking the same old diatribe and we're tired of it. You know, it's like right. it's 2015. Exactly. Get over your 1950 self. Right. Absolutely. I I totally agree. But, you know, everybody's not going to agree all the time, Jack. No, like no, I, I know. I know. We're, we're going to be sitting here 20, 30 years from now, and there's still going to be a slew of people that are homophobic and mm-hmm. racist and prejudiced and, you know, all this stuff. So it, it is what it is, but at least we're making a little bit of progress here, at least in, in – you know, in Hollywood and in TV, it's a little more – people are starting to get a little more open-minded yeah. with that. So I'm, like, I'm wondering what's interesting about this is are they going to make it a point of contention on the show? Will there be somebody that says, you know, that's bullshit. I don't want to see – I don't see you two fellas kissing. Or, I, or will they just ignore it and let the, let the audience right. deal with it? You know, either way, as long as they handle it the right way because – make. Make no mistake, there's going to be racist and there's going to mm-hmm. be homophobic people in the apocalypse too. So yeah. maybe that's something – That's an in, that might be an interesting way of going forward, you know? Yeah. Maybe, now, they haven't had any racists on the show, I don't think. Uh, maybe Merle, but Merle, yeah, yeah, I guess Merle was a racist. Yeah. And if he was in the show – if he were in the show now, then <laughs> seeing the two men kissing would, be an, would have been a different story altogether. Yeah, yeah. I, I wish Merle was still around, man. Uh, that he was a good foil. Was good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it could go either way, you know. Um, and and I'm, I have high hopes for the next few episodes now. I mean, I think too. it's, it's going to be great. Um, and my, my favorite, probably my favorite moment of this season, mm-hmm. maybe even the entire series, was just seeing Rick's, the close-up of Rick's face when he heard the children playing. Yeah, that, that was spoke, a great moment. That spoke so much. Yeah, yeah. And 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 while you see him react, you see hope cross his face. Everybody watching the show is thinking, "Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, exactly." That's what I was saying to to my yeah. wife. You know, I was like, "Yeah, there's you know hope, it, but something... was that a recording? <laughs> you know, is this a trap? Right? Are right. they going to Admiral Akbar him? And yep, you know, I, no." I totally agree. I mean, all those feelings that everybody else had, I, I had those feelings too. I, I, I want to talk about something. One of the greatest moments I've ever seen on TV, Jack, mm-hmm. is them going down the road and barreling through, and it was harrowing, barreling through zombies. Yeah. That's the way I envision it going, not like like the yeehaw, you know, this oh, is going to sure. be awesome, and, and you're, you know, zombies are, you know, uh, 
pirouetting off of your your car. I yeah. envisioned it to be ugly like this. Oh and I, yeah, I think yeah. they got it right, and it was they scary. Did. It was yeah. at night; you couldn't see. All you saw was a bunch of blood and guts, and you know, arms and <laughs> yeah. It was awesome. I thought it was yeah. one of the greatest greatest things that they've done. Are you talking? You're talking about when they were in the car driving? Yep, they were driving. Yeah, and. Oh man, it was to me that was one of the most harrowing things I've, I've seen. In and that's a while. that's also you know, if if the apocalypse were to happen, that's exactly what would happen because mm-hmm. it would spread so fast. There would be so many. I mean, think about how many people are on this planet. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and if the vast majority of them are infected, it it's gonna we're gonna you know. If anybody out there has ever been in a minority, which a lot of people have at one point in their lives, we're the the <laughs> the living will be the vast minority. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and and another on that same issue, you know, there have been moments in the show where they have illustrated that the point of killing the undead has just become rote. Mm-hmm. And it's it's no longer uh oh my god we got to kill these people it's just shit yeah. here they are again and it's just it's almost automatic and that's tragic yeah well I mean the guy himself what was his name I think his name was Mike I, I could be wrong the um, the guy that um, um, you know that was kind of stalking the group yeah yeah um, well, I can't remember his name I think it's Mike I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure but we'll he, call him Mike we'll call him Mike. He he even alluded to that. You know, he's like, I, you know, I've watched you guys long enough to know that you don't even you have a horde of of what he what do you call them roamers or rovers? Yeah, roamers. Yeah, uh, roamers. You know, around you, and you like you didn't even care. You know, yeah. and that's that was the whole point of that. You know, they've they've gotten that far. Like it, yeah. it's it's not scary to them anymore. Yes, sure, if they get super close, it could be harrowing. Uh, but them just trailing in the background, they're just background noise. You know, oh, it's I like know. they've, they've has, lost lost something. You know, it's like I, – I don't know the answer to this, but has anybody ever addressed the issue as to why they not they do not call them zombies? I I think they have. I think um, I think it was Nick Otero on Talking Dead one, one time talked about that and, and Kirkman has talked about that. I don't know why they, they don't call. I'm them sorry, but if if I were if that happened, that's that would be the default nomenclature for those creatures. Right, right. I mean, sure, people would eventually come up with slang terms for them, but at some point, somebody's going to say, "Hey, look, a zombie." Right, and it's, I just don't understand. I'm, I'm sure they have their reasons, but they need to at least at some point have a character call them a call them zombies. Yeah, just I, to just to. I don't know. It, there, it seems to me that there's there's just a um, – and I don't want to say legitimacy, but pay homage to the genre mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. and just say, you know, they have no one – if I were a part of the writing team for this show, I would have already at some point had a character make reference to George Romero mm-hmm. and not, and not in, a, in a indirect way. I would have them by name reference him because this is even if even though we are in a fictional world, these characters still live in a realistic world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in that realistic world, you cannot remove 
Romero from the mythos. You know, I I think this is going to be a slight disagreement, Jack. It, it's it's like a comic book. It came from from comic roots, right? Right. Um, Walking Dead was a comic before it was a movie, uh, TV show. And in comic books, they have like alternate universes. Sure, you know? sure. And this this could just be their way of their alternate universe. And also, you can have alternate universes universes <laughs> within a universe, right? Sure. So. And I understand that they, you know, there's always the issue of 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 royalty and things like that. They can't, you know, you pro- probably couldn't, you know, go off and start talking about Night of the Living Dead, or mm-hmm. you know, and maybe Romero just doesn't want his name up there. But I, I just, I would think that even, you know, even though it may be an alternate universe, just out of respect, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you can't you can't think of zombies without without thinking Romero. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, I, I can't. Uh, no. And, I mean, anybody that's watching The Walking Dead should look up the Romero movies immediately and start watching them. One yeah. After if, another. if you are watching The Walking Dead and you are not, and you have not seen at least one or two of the Romero films, you are not a zombie fan. Mm-hmm. You are a Walking Dead fan. You know, speaking of that, Jack, I, I watched um, Day of the Dead again the other uh-huh. day. And I think that movie is super underappreciated. It's it. I think it should be a little higher in a lot of people's list. It, you talking about the uh, original? Yeah, Day of the Dead, not the okay. piece of not crap, Dawn of the Dead. Me, yeah. Mina Suvari v- right, 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 right. vehicle. That that one was just stupid, and yeah. it's a shame because the director of that movie was Steve Miner, and Steve Miner did. The fright, a couple of the Friday Thirteenth movies, I believe. Right. So, um, but no, I, that movie is absolutely brilliant. It's the one with Bub and they're like yes. in a military compound, and that's right. You know, there's a lot of tension and just a lot of little subtlety, that, and not so subtlety that's going on. Um, you know, and and uh, you're right. I think that The Walking Dead should pay homage to that. You know, because without Romero Kirkman wouldn't have done what he did. I mean, none right. of this stuff would have happened. You know? Right. I guess. I guess in hindsight, you could say without the movie White Zombie, Romero wouldn't have even. Oh, done, I know, I know. You know. But 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 then you can always go back to you know whatever right. silent film and say, yeah, well, exactly. if it weren't for this, <laughs> right. Uh, it's like the argument that people make with me about music nowadays. You know, that's not real music. You have to go all the way back to classical music. And then, you know, somebody could use the argument that, you know, back in caveman days when they were banging drums, there would right. be no, right. you know, so I I know that. But th- it just seems, you're right. That There's no question. Romero, I mean, at least, I mean, put up like, um, you know, maybe have a character that's wearing glasses and is kind of, you know, gruff yeah. talking and... You know, you know the way Romero is, his mannerisms and stuff. Right. That w- that would be a perfect homage. You know, it's like sure. But um, I I think that Romero, for some reason, um, he, his later movies have tarnished him in a lot of people's eyes, and I I don't see it that way. I think yeah. I think he came up with three of the greatest. I mean, one of the greatest trilogies of all all time, and. It should be really revered and yeah. uh, homage to for sure. So um, I, I'm trying to uh, trying to remember. I think yeah, uh, Diary of the Dead. Yeah, I actually liked that one. Mm. 
I, I know not many people do. The the one that I liked was Survivor of the or Survival of the Dead. Survival that, of the Dead, and, yeah. and it gets universally panned. But yeah, I, there was some good moments in it that I yeah. I rather enjoyed. It had kind of a um sort of a Romeo and Juliet uh, right aspect to it that I that I kind of enjoyed. But it's not the greatest for sure. It's, no, it, no. Well, you also have to remember that you have to put everything into perspective. Yeah, and you know, Romero when Romero he when Romero first started making films, there there weren't a lot in the genre out there, mm-hmm. and filmmaking um, hadn't evolved to where it is now, mm-hmm. and so you know there are you know newer movies that have that have arisen that take advantage of new technologies and 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 new storytelling. Um, tropes and you know Romero sticking to his his ways mm-hmm. and it's hard it's hard for a filmmaker to do that and still stay relevant even Absolutely. when you're George Romero yeah no you know the, today's audiences don't want Night of the Living Dead mm-hmm. you know no. they 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 have become so accustomed to more and more and more well and not to mention the fact that color changed the game you know, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's. I can see why um, a millennial would not want to watch Night of the Living Dead. You know, they're yeah. the, they're in a way desensitized with mm-hmm. uh, Walking Dead and and all the later you know Dawn right. of the Deads and and yeah. everything that comes out now. So, but there has to be a sense of appreciation for that movie. I, I go through this quite a bit with my wife. She's not a big black and white movie fan, but. Right. Um, you know, I tell her like movies like Psycho and and yeah. some of this stuff. You you have to at least give it a shot and understand the basis to which you know modern movies are are made. Yeah, you know, and and there's an there's an ambience mm-hmm. in black and white that you can't create in color. Well, there's a definite definite reason why modern um, filmmakers will will use black and white. Yeah, you know? they they do that on purpose because just because of that reason. But. Shadow becomes you know a, a part of the storytelling. Yep, and and you can't do that in color. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Speaking of modern movie movie making, Jack, just a reminder: after we get done here talking about uh, our stuff, we're going to have a interview with Kia Roach Turner, the director and writer. Of Wormwood, Road of the Dead, you know, and is and there a release date for that film yet? Uh you know what? I don't. I think it's out now. If I'm not mistaken, I have to. Uh, you'll hear it in the interview. Uh, everybody oh, that's okay. listening out there, I'm, I'm not sure if it. I think it came out that man probably about. Yeah, it came out about a week ago or so. I'm pretty sure it's out for sure. Okay. Uh, make sure to check it out, everybody, because it. I saw. I had the opportunity to see it, and it. Just think, Mad Max comedy, Australia, yeah. and that's it. It, it that's is Australia's about. most pirated movie. Uh, really? Wow, yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, I can see why it's a. It's a great movie. I wish people would pay for it. Maybe word of I mouth know. will will make them them pay to to see the movie. But even in the title. Uh, Wormwood, Road of the Dead. That's a clear homage yeah. to, um, you know. Uh, you know, Romero. I'm sorry, but I, I have to say this. If you're listening and you can afford it, pay for your art. 
Pay yeah. for your music. Pay Absolutely. for your films and your books. Don't yeah. steal them. Absolutely. No question that's, about that. Um, that's, that, would be like, that would be like me saying, you know what? You have to work for free for yeah. a day. Yeah. And you're not going to do that. You're not going to go to your job and work all day for free. Mm-hmm. No, no question about it, for sure. Um, Sorry, I'll get off that bandwagon real no, fast. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a perfect band, bandwagon to be on. I mean, I, I know I, – I, I go back and forth with it because piracy I think sometimes helps. Uh, but Piracy you – know. you know, I have actually known people that piracy have, has helped, like uh, certain authors – their books get pirated and then all of a sudden people want to buy the next in the series. Mm-hmm. But I've also known people where it's, where it's really damaged their career to the point where, you know, people – the books have spread around so much that they make no money off of them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a scary balance. You want it to work yeah. but when it doesn't work, it's very damaging for sure. Yeah. I don't believe Hollywood um, – gets hurt by it to be honest with you i think um mainstream hollywood i think um yeah actually uh, benefits quite a bit yeah i well you know there's hollywood's a different beast yeah it's um, it's it when, certainly is. when hollywood releases i'm sorry but if hollywood releases a blockbuster film people and people are going to pirate it regardless but even those people that pirate it are still going to go see it because let's – like for instance, I'll just pull this out of my butt, Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Seeing Godzilla on your computer versus seeing it at the theater is a completely different beast. Yep. <laughs> and people are going to pay to see it at the theater and they should. Mm-hmm. You know, comedies and stuff like that is a different story. But, um, you know, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter you even if you pirate something, you know, go see it. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's like it's like my my kind of my rule with Spotify. I subscribe to a month monthly subscription of Spotify. I use it as a source to find new music. Yeah, and when I find something I like, I buy the song music mm-hmm. because the artists don't make much money off of Spotify. Right, right. No, you're right. It's the same thing with video games. You know, if you're sitting there. Uh, pirating video games. I mean, those those things cost a lot of money to make. You know? Yeah. So, um, you know, support especially su- support the indies. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what oh, I yeah. would say. You know, because they're doing it out of uh, a love for what they do right. and with with the hopes that they can step it up to the next level. And they can't do that if if no one is purchasing their product. Yeah. And where are our next Spielbergs going to come from now? Absolutely. They're going to come from indie indie filmmakers and indie writers and indie musicians. It's you know, and that's interesting that, and I know that we've gone off topic, but the the one you know, indie musicians have they kind of get they're kind of the golden boys of the indie artists. Mm-hmm. They're looked up upon, whereas most indie a lot of indie filmmakers and indie authors they tend to kind of become the bastard stepchildren of the indie world. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's and it's insulting. It's like, you know, we work just as hard as indie musicians. Absolutely. You know, no the, diff- the biggest difference is is if when you, you know, I've been involved in the music scene a bit and when you find out how supportive the music scene is as a whole, you understand how they manage to succeed versus, you know, the indie filmmakers and the indie authors, they're they're still in this little little uh, um muckety muck of considering each other competition i i don't understand the difference there 
you know, maybe because I'm not in the industry, it's it's maybe that's a good topic to talk about because a lot of uh, zombie movies uh, are made by indie filmmakers yeah. for sure. So yeah. we we can definitely get into that. Oh yeah. Um, real quick wrap up on on the last episode of The Walking Dead. We find the group because I don't I don't think we kind of explained the last episode. The group is weary. They they find this guy. They find out he has a camp, and so far he isn't lying. And they get there, and and like you said, the scene where there's a close up of Rick's face when he hears because he makes mention mention to Michonne. You know what? What did you hear when we went to Woodbury? What What did you yeah. hear when we went to Terminus? And, and yeah. she's like nothing. And he, and right. that's what that that was his point. If he goes to this place and he hears nothing, then he knows something is up. If he yeah. goes to this place and he hears something, then maybe. Yeah. You know, and he ends the, up hearing children playing. That's know, the, so. the the strange thing about it, though, is why did he only hear children? Right. That's that. That's an interesting point. Why <laughs> were Why did he not hear the sound of adults? And you know why a bunch of children? You know, it would seem to me that if you're going to hear children, you're going to hear adults. You're going to hear a general kind of. Uh, the sound of of us of if there are that many children, then there's a society behind those gates, or or a semblance the the makings of a society. There's there are multiple people. There's not just a handful of children behind those doors. Yeah, no question. You would you would definitely hear other people. You would hear you know maybe some laughing, maybe some just noise in general. You know, you, dogs, dogs. You know, of course, you know. Of course, maybe everybody's eaten all the dogs in the world, which is an that's interesting true. topic. I wanna, I wanna definitely get into. Um, oh, that's right. They ate some dogs. Yeah. So <laughs> they did. I mean, why wouldn't you? You know, I, yeah, I, well. I talked to my wife about this too. You know, I mean, Fido's got to go in in the event of a, a zombie apocalypse. You know, I ain't, I ain't right. eating my kids, so um, I'll eat my dog as reluctantly as I, you know, say that. You know, but um, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, earlier, I, I talked about video games, Jack. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a quick hitting story here. Uh, and I want to get your <laughs> – I, I don't know what how to say this, but I'm, I'm going to read this real quick and uh, we'll talk about it. Um, recently, a game came out called Dying Light. It's a mm-hmm. zombie apocalypse type game. Uh, looks really good kind of from a first-person perspective type type video game. For the uh, video game enthusiast out there, uh, you go around just you know knocking zombies left and right. There is a story in the game and stuff, but there is a limited special edition of this game. Um, are you familiar how video games work, uh, Jack? Mm-hmm. Like you get yeah. these uh, limited edition, and they usually come with maybe a soundtrack or right. uh-huh. a strategy guide, stuff like that. Well, this one. This one, I'm just going to tell you the price. I'll, let, let me read this. This comes to us from GameSpot. Mm-hmm. Uh, $386,000 Dying Light Special Edition announced. Comes with a custom-made zombie-proof shelter, parkour lessons, flight to Poland, adult diapers, and lots more. So I'm looking at some of the other stuff. You get your face in the game. A human-sized volatile figurine to deter human raiders. So it's like a big zombie 
human-sized zombie-looking thing. Uh, zombie parkour lessons I mentioned four times. Still Xbox One copies of Dying Light, so you get four copies of the game. Branded night vision goggles, adult diapers for Dying Light's nighttime gameplay, so that's kind of funny. Uh, round trip uh, to Techland party with Steve, the zombie consultant. Um, so the, basically the developers of the game, razor headphones, and you get the custom built zombie proof shelter. So yes. My they, only question is why diapers? Well, I think that's because they say adult diapers for dying lights, nighttime gameplay, because if if you see oh. the game, you <laughs> yeah. know, it's just kind of a funny, um, yeah. funny thing, but, uh, 386 thousand dollars for a video game that That's to insane. me i think that has to be a record uh other than like retro games that are super hard to find i think this has to be an all-time record for for a video game man that my is, question is is anybody going to pay pay it i don't know that's interesting i'm i'm curious is the game that good i it's really good I, I yeah. I've seen the game. I haven't played it, but I I've seen a, a let's play of it. You know where they walk uh-huh. through, walk you through on YouTube or whatever. But um, wow, three I don't I mean three hundred eighty six thousand dollars. I don't even think if I was a multi millionaire I would pay that to for no, this game. No, you know it it had it would have to be my favorite all time game and <laughs> all this stuff, man. I, uh, I yeah. I just thought it was the craziest thing um, that so, that somebody would make a special edition that cost three hundred and eighty six thousand dollars. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, uh, the cabin is kind of cool. It's like you know, I mean, it's designed well. It's made by a professional company called Tiger Log Cabins and, uh-huh. and all that type of stuff. But damn, I mean. And there's only one of them apparently. So one person – only one person is going to get this special edition. So really what you're paying for is the cabin. You're paying for the cabin. Yeah. Every, yeah. Well, and, and the life-sized human Life, yeah. zombie thing because that – I'm sure that costs quite a bit. The game is incidental. Yeah. The game – I mean shit. 60 bucks, you could get the game. You know? Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so – and your face in the game too. So yeah. that's, that's kind of cool. And I, I wonder if you could get the cabin cheaper than $300,000. Oh, no question. I mean, of course. <laughs> so you could put that game together – put that whole package together for less than $300,000. Oh, yeah. No question. No question. But this is one of a kind, man. Come on. That's true. Come on, Jack. On. Get, freaking... Dig into your wallet, Jack, and get this. Yeah. Get this. I'd have to dig really deep for that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I just thought it was really interesting. I'm a big time gamer and, and, uh, you know, I thought that was really cool, but, um, all right, um, Jack, I think that's going to do it. Um, make sure, unless you have anything else, Jack, do you have another, uh, not that I could think of right now. So all I know right. you've got that big interview to play. Yeah. We're going to be playing right after the, um, outro music. I'm going to go ahead and play the interview with Kat. So make sure you stick around after the music to hear the, Actually, you know what? We'll do it right now because a lot of times people will not know. So without further ado, here is the interview with Kia Roach-Turner, the director and writer of Wormwood. So you've been uh, you've been on quite the, the little press junket for Wormwood lately. Yeah. Are you yeah. exhausted about are talking we, about it yet? Are we, in the, are we in the podcast now? What are we doing? I'm, I'm recording. We're just, we're just freestyling. It's fine. 
Oh, okay, we're straight in there. Okay, oh, so you guys operate like Mark Maron. You just turn it on and straight in there. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, that's a good way to go. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, it's pretty crazy. Like, honestly, you know, I'm trying to kind of stay cool and pretend like, oh, yeah, you know, I expect to do this on my phone. But like, you don't expect this. Like, it's, it's gone global. It's like one of the number one currents in the world at the moment. And um, it's, I'm getting a lot of attention. My inbox is massive. Um, and we started shooting this back in 2010, literally with like a seven-person crew. Like, and that includes actors. We just seven people in Newcastle shooting a thing, and and we shot it in backyards. And suddenly, cut to four years later, and like we're sort of at the forefront of the global piracy issue, which is interesting because all I wanted to do was make a fucking film. Um, <laughs> am I allowed to swear on this? Or is this of course you are. Of course you are. Okay, yeah, no, well, I'm. Yeah, to make a film and now it's just all this big stuff and it's just a zombie film like it's, it's, it's ridiculous it's such a it's such a fun little thing and you sort of you, you chuck it out online and like um, man the haters are so funny like we're getting these mad sort of rants from people going these stupid fucking assholes with their ridiculous release strategy if they were stupid enough <laughs> to release it like this they deserve every single torrent they get fuck these people and I'm like what what this guy's this guy's reacting like I killed his firstborn. All I did was make a film. Yeah, welcome, a welcome to the internet. By a larger distributor, it's just a, it's a weird thing, you know. <laughs> I think that's that's really the nature of the internet now, though, is that people feel this weird yeah. ownership and like they have this strange anonymity where they can say whatever they're thinking and don't think that anyone's on the other side of it, being like, "That was really mean." It's a funny thing. I've started reacting by kind of emailing these people and just going. Here's my email address. Can you email me? I will give you my phone number. And can you call me? Or I'll call you. And they never, they never take your bait. It's like they're, they're sort of, what, what's the expression? Um, Chicken shit? Cowboy. Yeah. And it's like, they're like, I'll scream and yell and call you every name under the sun and tell you you're ruining the film industry or doing whatever you're doing. But if you just go, can you just give me a call? They, they shut up really quickly. Oh, yeah. And it's like, well, if you didn't want to say it to my face or my ears, um, why did you say it? I don't understand. I think there's a weird power people get in just typing fuck you into a thing and, and sending it off. And I, I guess it's just a, it's a feeling of power that people need these days. Um, but yeah, it's just so funny. You just like, you read it and you're just like, dude, that's so harsh. You never even met me. Like, why are you talking about my mother? It's, like, <laughs> it's just a funny thing, yeah. I think, I think that is how... I mean, the thing, the thing that amazes me is, like, this is just a tiny little film that was made by just a bunch of friends in, you know, Sydney, Australia, New South Wales, Australia, and, like, the world is really loving it. It's like people are going, hey, yeah, this is totally in, you know, it, it feels, I don't know whether it's buzz or not, but it feels like we've made a film that kind of is in the genre now. You know, people will talk about Evil Dead and um, uh, Dawn of the Dead and, um, you know, Undead and... Uh, uh, you know, um, brain dead, and then I'll go, oh yeah, and, and you know, Wormwood too, which is amazing to me. <laughs> like, it's amazing that we're able to get that. Yeah. Well, it is. It's a very unique film, and I mean, in a in a genre that's completely overrun by bullshit, it's nice to yeah. find something that's unique and has something more to say, which is extremely difficult to find with zombie movies. Extremely difficult. Yeah, it's funny, and I've sort of been forced into discussing zombies for the last year. <laughs> even I'm a bit sick of it. I'm like, you know what? Even I'm sick of my own films. Um, <laughs> I, I completely agree with you guys. 
the, the fact of the matter remains that, like, whether mainstream people in the world are sick of zombies or not, or whether, you know, the media is oversaturated or whatever, it still doesn't matter because there's a core group of zombie fans who are awesome people, and I'm starting to meet more and more of them, and they're just, they can't get enough. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can't really just go, oh, stop making it, we're sick of it. But like, no, 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 you are. But there's a, there's a group of zombie fans out there who just wait on a monthly basis. They're like, give me a ball, a video game, TV, movie, I don't care. I'll oh, yeah. And they're called, you know, let those people have their thing, you know? Yeah, I don't think it's a, it's, it's not a genre that's ever going to die out just because of all the, no. the social commentary um, aspects of it. But I think that's something that yeah. I've gotten tired of in the genre is all of the attempts at social commentary, and I yeah. kind of I kind of like the fact that Wormwood doesn't really have a social commentary. No, at least not one that I picked out. <laughs> no, uh, unnecessary. Uh, all the other films have covered that. Yeah, we, um, we're just like, yeah, look, that's been done. Um, I mean, really, we we we. We started putting in a few bits and pieces of that, and I was just like yawn and just deleted it all from the screen. <laughs> this, is a, this is a this is a character piece about um, it's about two things. Um, it's all three things, I guess. It's about mateship, family, and the fact that when you lose everything, as in, in the apocalypse, all you have is mateship and family, and that's your journey. Mm-hmm. You know, just got to keep the things around you that you love. And just forget about all the social. I mean, nobody lived their life with social commentary, and that's just Gandhi or John Lennon. You know, most people who live their life to, to you know, um, most people's journeys are, are about being around the people that they love. And, and I think that's more of a. It's not to get too pretentious, but I think that's 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 more the story that, that most people want to want to see. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that's the zombie movies that have stood out for me, at least in the last couple of years, are the ones that have that human story and aren't so much focused on the zombies. Which, I mean... Maybe, I don't know. I mean, you, then you look at something like 28 Days Later and Alex Garland is so just... It's such a smart movie. It's such mm-hmm. an interesting commentary, you know. Or you, but then you look at Shaun of the Dead and that's just about gags. That's just about... Well, actually, no, that's kind of about friendship and relationships. It is. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. It really doesn't matter what approach you take as long as, it's, as, long as you can tell a story. That's mm-hmm. really... That's really it. Nothing works. You, you, you don't know what's going to work. You know, you're just trying to tell the best story just down without thinking about that stuff. You know? Well, yeah, exactly. Do you feel like, uh, this might sound strange, do you feel like a bit of an anomaly because, or being, do you feel like you're being treated like a bit of an anomaly because you're from Australia and people are like, oh, oh, yeah, that's, that's, probably. that's down under yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, probably one of the, the, the weirdest questions I got from most American journalists was, um, so are you actually from Australia or is this like, a, I'm like, what? <laughs> Indigenous 
um, people all around us, and, and that's just kind of the way it is. Like, I don't know. I think people are giving me a lot more credit for being smarter than, than I actually am. Like, this thing just fell together, you know? You need to start owning that, because I know that was something that uh, a friend of mine brought up when I showed her the trailer, and she's like, oh, my God, they, they cast an Aborigine actor? That's amazing, because that's not mm-hmm. something you typically see coming out of, of Australia is, is an, Abori- or an Aborigine actor as a main character. Not in the films you guys get privy to. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of wonderful Indigenous performances in all sorts of Australian films, which you guys will never get to see, um, because it's a very small industry, and, and there's really not that many films made, and, and most of the films, uh, it's very rare for an Australian film to, to, to sort of play overseas, so to speak. You know, every now and again you get an Animal Kingdom, um, which is about <laughs> a certain sub, you know, sub uh, section of the community, or you get a Crocodile Dundee, um, uh-huh. well, they actually had a fair few Indigenous people in it, but um, yeah, look, I, I, um, it wasn't planned. Um, it was um, it's something that happened because Leon Burchill is, is, is a very, very charismatic and wonderful actor. And like I said, the, the part was written for somebody else. And he came in and I actually asked him, I said, look, do you want to change this part at all? Because it was written for a different part. And he said, mate, don't change a thing. And we ended up changing everything because he is who he is. And like that entire opening sequence where, you know, him and his brothers out in the bush, that was all just written because I found him fascinating and I wanted to know what his backstory was. Mm-hmm. And so we started putting all these Indigenous elements in because I don't really... I don't think I'm that good a, a writer. Um, in, in fact, the original script of Wormwood is pretty crap. And most of the stuff that is fantastic actually came out of rehearsal and came out of us rewriting and bringing the actors together and getting their opinions. And Leon really changed that role into something that he could own. Um, so he owns that role. I don't own that role. I just cast an actor who looks and sounds amazing. And everything else is on him, you know? Yeah, he's fantastic. People saying, oh, Peter, you're so clever to have cast him. Oh, well, I'm not clever. He's just a fucking good actor. Um, <laughs> he's, clever. he's clever, you know? Like, he, he needs to own that more, you know? He was, he was fucking brilliant. Yeah. He was brilliant. He's so funny. And he saves the film. Because, honestly, the first 20 minutes of the film, like, was something that we shot years and years ago. We started shooting a much darker version of the script. And as we went through it and as we started um, showing scenes to people and realising that we're making a really fucking bleak, inaccessible film, um, we started just throwing more and more jokes in and we rewrote and rewrote, rewrote the entire thing to be less of a kind of taxi driver-like experience and more of an a Indiana Jones experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we made it more of an action-adventure. And, and basically, for the first 20 minutes of the film, you're just like, oh, my God, this is horrible. Like, you know, I've got sheep being punched in the face and he's <laughs> Water and wife with a nail gun, and, and his family's dead, and now I want to kill myself, and I'm only 20 minutes in. I'm not even eating my popcorn, this is crap. And then suddenly Leon comes in, and you get your first big laugh of, of the film, and then basically it's just laughs all the way through. So he, in a way, really does save the film. Oh, he's wonderful. Um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to actually bring bring that up, the fact that it is a comedy. Um, and I mean, you've already mentioned that not a lot of movies make it out of Australia over over to us, but the ones that do, um, they're very yeah. raw and very bleak. And mm. uh, I think it's actually kind of appropriate that Wormwood started out so bleak. It seems like that's something yeah. that it's something that Aussies do really well is bleak. Yeah, it's funny. I, I don't understand that, and I actually, as a filmmaker, want to change that. Um, there is a tendency in our filmmaking community to make bleak films, and I don't know where that comes from, because if you look at our culture, 
Like, we're pretty gregarious. We're on the beach, we're running around with no clothes, and we're pretty fucking happy, you know. We, <laughs> um, yeah, we've got a really long history of great rock and roll and, mm-hmm. and drinking and partying and having a good time. Nobody tells a joke like in Australia. It's fantastic. We're very happy people. So I'm like, why is our cinema so bleak? And I'm a huge fan of David Michaud and Animal Kingdom and The Rosa, but I look at those films and I'm just like, look, I'm a lot happier than that, <laughs> you know? <laughs> We, we were born. We were born in the lucky country. We have a lot of sun and a lot of beaches, and you know we've got this you know saturated day glow land in which we live, and there's not too many wars, and it's pretty cool to live here. So I mean, I, I think if anything, with, with my films, I really want to bring a bit more of the fun back into Australian cinema because um, yeah, the bleak tendency. I don't know where that comes from. It's it's the oddest I thing. I think it's I think it's because the film landscape is so depressing. So it make us get really good work. <laughs> You know, there's so little funding here that you go, oh, fuck it, I'm just going to make a film about how I feel, which is depressed. That is, um, that is possible. Because I can't get my films made. It's, it's just so funny to look at, at films that come out of New Zealand and see they're all usually, at least horror films, are horror comedies. And it's, yeah, it's, such, a, it's such a stark Zealand, difference. The New Zealand film industry, for some reason, is a lot happier than us. Mm-hmm. And I always have been. It's funny, even back when they, they didn't really have an industry and they were just, you know, desperately trying to make films in the 70s, they still made really funny films. Yeah, it's, it's I think they're just a very naturally optimistic people, you know. Um, and that's, that's completely defined by Peter Jackson in history, you know, because he's just got, he's got a great sense of humour and can-do attitude and it comes through in all the films. Absolutely. But I'm a big fan of New Zealand filmmaking. I, I actually think that the New Zealand film industry, even pre-Peter Jackson, was, was kind of doing more interesting things uh, a lot of the time than, than, than we Australians. Um, especially given that they had considerably less finances. So mm-hmm. um, huge um, New Zealand uh, film fan. I'm so biased. My husband's a, a Kiwi, so I'm kind of kind of super biased. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I mean, I, I, um, I, I, New Zealand is one of the only other places I've ever been to where I, I kind of could, could live there. I'm a real homebody, and I, I kind of don't like to... You know, I'm a bit like Woody Allen in that respect, in that I really like to stick around Sydney and New South Wales and the Blue Mountains and, and kind of that's where I want to be. But when I went to New Zealand, I fell in love immediately with both the people and the landscape. And I would love to live there. Where is he from? South or North Island? Uh, he's from the North Island. He's from uh, Napier. Okay. So Hawke's yeah, Bay. I haven't spent much time in the North Island. I've been to Auckland and a couple of other places. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've gone to the South Island just repeatedly. And it is literally like living in Middle Earth. <laughs> I keep hearing that. Oh, man. I still haven't been. One day. Mm, mm. No, I'd, I'd love to make a film there. I'd, I'm really, um, I'd like to sort that out in the next couple of years to, to, to go over there and make a film. Well, you should take all of your whirlwind money there and make a movie. Yeah, well, I mean, you hope <laughs> to keep the team together. Um, but, yeah, no, I'd love to, I mean, it sounds funny because all the bloody fantasy films are made of it, but I'd love to go over there and make a fantasy. Um, I was a huge fan of it. Uh, novel reader when I was a kid, you know, and I've read all the all the nerdy stuff, like all the Dragonlance books and, you know, the David Edding stuff and obviously, um, you know, Tolkien and but I just love that stuff. And I do think that the fantasy genre is something that still hasn't quite been done perfectly. Um, we've come very close, you know, with these huge Peter Jackson epics, which, which was fantastic. Um, but I, I, I think there's a rawness that I long for. I, I long for somebody to go out and make the, the uh, you know, make like a, like a Sergio Leone type fantasy film where it's, it's raw, it's gritty, it's shot like a 70s cop drama, but it's got swords and sorcery in it, you know, it's R-rated, and it's just, 
hardcore, you know, and I, I haven't seen too many of that. They do that in uh, Asia, like Hong Kong has done some fantastic mm-hmm. work in that regard, but like Western uh, cinema just hasn't caught up yet, and I don't think... Um, uh, I mean, Game of Thrones, obviously, but like, I don't know, there's, um, I think there's still, there's still something that um, can be done in that genre that hasn't really been explored yet, so that's really, uh, that's what I'd like to do at some point. Interesting. That's a fun departure. I like that. Mm. I like that. Okay, I have to ask you a few questions about Wormwood, just to, to satisfy yep. uh, some people who sent in some questions. Uh, Frank, who's been going back and forth with you via email, sent me a bunch of questions, okay. and I got to ask all of mine, which weren't related to the movie. <laughs> okay. Um, so Frank is, Frank is very interested in where you got the idea for the zombies to have that pig noise. Oh, to make the pig noise. Now, personally, I've Um, got some, I've got some PTSD for pigs, so that kind of freaked me the fuck out. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like you sort of troll the internet for for sounds and, and I found the sound of, Oh God! It's actually kind of. Um, I don't think it's in the film anymore because we redid all the sounds. But in, in my temp audio, I found a sound of a pig being killed. Oh um, God! That sounds like people. And it's horrible, but it's like it, it, it's the worst sound I have ever heard. Mm-hmm. And when my wife heard it or found out that I've been using it, she's like, "Oh my! I'm never watching your fucking film. Like, how dare you use this?" And I'm like, "Oh God, you're right." But it sounded. <laughs> So horrible. I <laughs> couldn't sounds... find anything to replace it. So what we no. started doing was like mixing that in with the actual vocal vocalizations of the actors on the day, and you know, uh, sort of uh, mucking around with the, the speed and all that kind of stuff. Um, it just it was just horrifying. You know, it sounded like a cross between a, a shriek and a snarl and an eagle whistle or something, and and it just that was. Um, that was kind of the building blocks for what became the Wormwood Zombie sound. So I think Adrian Belinsky did the sound design, sort of took that and then went off and um, sort of made his own sounds um, that, that, that kind of correlated to what we did originally. And that's what it came up with. But like, man, that original sound file that I found was just, it was so horrible and so horrifying that it just, uh, it, was, it was the only thing that that, 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 that was the direction. As soon as I heard it, I was like, yeah, that's, that's disgusting. That's but I think it's somebody, somebody killing a pig in Bulgaria or something and just uploaded it to the internet. And it's like, it's such a weird sound to kind of go, oh, okay, yeah, I think the world needs this sound. <laughs> and we uploaded it. It's, it's, like, yeah, it's right. a really terrifying sound. Thank you. Thank you, psychotic Bulgarian person. No kidding. Yuck. Yeah. Not a fan. That, that weirded me out. Yes, that, that sound weirded me out really, really horribly. Actually, both... All three times I watched it, I was tweeting it while I was yeah. watching it, and uh, Keith, <laughs> one of your actors, kept heckling me for my tweets. He was making fun of me for being scared <laughs> of the pig noise. That's funny. Yeah, Keith, all over Twitter. It's funny. I, I, I'm just starting to get into Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of very behind, and I can see how it's addictive. But Keith is just like he lives on Twitter. It's quite funny. It's awesome. So do I. So it's he's been he's been there with me through the all three tweets. <laughs> it's really helpful. That's a classic. Yeah, I think he's probably got considerably more followers than Wormwood. <laughs> you got to put him to work. Social, he's our social media king. Yeah, you have to he's put him to work. Give him, the, uh, give him the password and let him go to town. That'll do it. I probably should, but um, I think he's too nice. <laughs> um, I, think, I think the Wormwood tweets have to be a little bit like edgier than that. He's just he's such a nice guy, you know? Um, yeah, he's a great guy. He's fun. I had a lot of fun banter with him. Yeah, I'm actually writing in a, a, another part for the new film that we're doing. Oh, nice. It's going to be like a 
paranormal ghost film. It's going to be mental. Oh, fun. Yeah. That's cool. I want to hear about, more about that one in a, in a minute here. Um, so okay. Frank is also curious about some of your camera angles. Um, he says there's some of the most original that he's seen since Evil Dead. Um, mm. How hard was it to shoot some of the scenes? Uh, for example, the first woman that turned into a zombie. I'm guessing. He's, um, I guess he's talking about the model. Yeah. Look, all they were all hard to shoot because it's such a small crew. And I mean, I story I, I storyboarded for the first half of production. Um, and so I'd storyboard pretty tight, and we'd sometimes have sort of 50 to 60 setups to get through a day, which grew to the point where when we were shooting the uh, the doctor's medical holding cell sequence, we had 100 setups in a day, which I think is just unheard of. Oh my um, God. But it's all because it was like really, really tightly storyboarded. So we were that's able my, to that's my favorite sequence. The time. And then um, it's some of my favorite sequences too, actually. The, the sequence where Brooke escapes, I'm very, very happy with because it really feels like a, um, feel like a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I wanted. Like I wanted to, I wanted to feel like some kind of insane, fucking, you know, itchy and scratchy kind of moment. And that's, we really got that, I think. But I think, yeah, during the shooting of that, we did like a hundred setups a day because there was so many cuts and it's cut so quickly. Um, and every cut means something and every cut has to sort of, yeah, um, it was a real, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably one of my favourite editor sequences. But uh, the, the shed sequence when she first turns into a zombie, that was difficult. We shot that in the height of summer. So oh, outside God. it was outside it was like 35 degrees. Inside it was over 40 degrees. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is in, in Fahrenheit. Um, but it's hot. So we're in there sweating our ass off. We've got, uh, we have to close the door every time. So every time we shoot, we're sealed off and it's hard to breathe. And uh, we've got smoke machines going. And um, it took four days, I think, to shoot all the sequences in that um, in that in that shed. Um, and it just felt like four months. We just felt like we were stuck in that shed for a long time. Um, and obviously, it's all practical. So you know, I mean, Bianca was having to crawl around in the ceiling and jump around, and we got the stunt people, you know, throwing each other around. But that shed is in my mother's backyard, by the way. <laughs> um, and so she was doing the catering. She was bringing scones down from the house, and she'd come down, and we'd be drilling bullet holes into her shed, and she'd be like, "Do you want some scones? What the hell are you doing?" We're like, oh, we're just doing the bullet holes. She's like, "You didn't tell me you were doing this." Oh, well, who wants a scone? And um, so she was lovely, and she still gives me shit. She texts me every couple of weeks, going, "When are you going to fix the fucking bullet holes?" Sorry, soon, soon. Um, but they're still there. It's quite funny because when she has tea parties, she brings people down and she goes, there's the bullet holes from the movie. And they're, they're, they said, they're going to fix it. It's been a year now, but I'm sure they will. So I think she loves them. Actually, she, I think she deals with them. But, um, yeah, the, the, the camera angle is tricky because it's a very small shed. You can't take out walls. It's all shot practically. And, mm-hmm. and uh, it was very difficult for the, for the camera people because there were some sequences where we had three cameras going at once. We had... Uh, a first AD, you know, a couple of our groups. And when I say groups, I mean my mate Janin and my mate Tim. <laughs> They're not groups. <laughs> They're just there. They and are so now. And crammed into this tiny little thing trying to shoot. And there's a there's an actor in grease paint screaming and there's blood flying everywhere. And you're just there for four days straight. And it's pretty funny that when, when we did the soldier stuff, like it was so hot. Um, we actually tied seven fans together and had this bank of fans sitting at the door, so when you open the shed door, you know, after doing a taste, you have these fans blowing in and, you know, you've, you've, um, all of that. And I remember Damo, who's like one of the toughest people I know, was playing one of the soldiers and 
there's a point where we just did take after take after take, and, and their packs were so heavy at that point. Like the um, the oxygen tanks were actually made of metal, and like it was really difficult to carry them around. Eventually, we made them into foam, so it was a little bit easier for them. But um, at that point, they couldn't breathe in the mask. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where he just did six takes in a row, and he goes, ah, oh, right now, I've probably got one take left. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, what, what's going on? He's going, I'm about to face it, like, just go ahead, we'll do one more take. And I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't face um, we'll just stop. Um, and he took his helmet off, and there was just a river of sweat all over his face. And those were hard things, really hard. But it's a decent, you know, it's a decent season, so pretty, I'm pretty happy with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there was one. There was one scene I noticed that uh, the poor guys in their in their SWAT helmets, you couldn't see their faces because it was so fogged. Yeah, that explains we had that. Constant problems with that, and um, they were. We had constant requests for, from the actors, just going, "Guys, can you please solve the fog problem?" Can you, you know, and then a year later, we still got the fog problem. And <laughs> it's funny, actually. I, I had to add digital fog to a bunch of the helmets because sometimes they're fogged, sometimes they're not, you know, they're inconsistent. And um, I actually like the fog. So it means you can't see their faces, you can't see their eyes, and they mm-hmm. become more like sort of Star Wars stormtroopers. They, they don't have, they're more like robots. And I think that really added to it. So I, I have no problem. But the problem is they, they, they couldn't see. Yeah. So they couldn't get their marks. So these guys are just wandering around, you know, just going, um, all right, pick up the gun. Where's the gun? Where, where the fuck's Barry? I can't, I can't see. Oh, okay. <laughs> Look in that direction, say your lines, and you'll, yeah. But yeah, it was uh, pretty tricky because they had to do some stunt work and stuff that they could hardly see. And, but, you know, that's, that's what happens when you make a movie this complicated. You've got to just deal with every little thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. And that's that's indie film for you, too. It is indeed, yeah. And any indie, indie filmmaker, whether they're doing a romantic comedy or, a, or an action film, will, will have the same stories. You know? Oh, absolutely. It's, it really is just it's running the gauntlet when you've got no budget. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to come back to the uh, the science part of the film because it's it's seriously my favorite part. I love the colors. Yeah. I love the closeness of it, and um, it's just it's it's such an intense little sequence, but it's still funny and strange. And the doctor, actually, my husband brought this up. He's like, it reminds me of John Malkovich. So fucked up. Oh yeah, I see that actually. Yeah, he's like a re- he's like he's like John Malkovich stretched. Mm-hmm. Um, He's like a Gumby version of John Malkovich. Yeah. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. Um, and, and you said that uh, the science parts are, are some of your favorites as well. Can you can you give me a little bit of background into into coming up with how you wanted it to look? I know yeah, we talked a little bit about that, cartoony. With a you know with a, you know that you you um. With an independent film, you don't have a lot of money and you can't really afford a lot of locations, even though we did end up having a shitload of locations. So I was really trying to think of a, a sequence where... I mean, I was, I'm a big fan of that film Cube. You know, oh, yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're going from Cube to Cube. Or uh, I'm also a huge fan of... Not so much the small movies, which I, I, I do like, but I love the idea of somebody having to escape from something using their mind. I love I love that idea. Um and it also makes it into a bit of a game. It's like he's involved in this mouse trap game, you know, and, and he's he's the cat and she's the mouse and she's got to get out of this this, this thing. Um, so we just came up with the idea that she'd just be in this shoebox, um, t- totally vulnerable, tied to the wall with a bunch of monsters surrounding her with this psychotic, bug-looking, you know, reptile of a man um, sitting right there. And it's like there is no way you can get out of that situation. But as a writer having to think, 
her way out of the situation is fantastic. You know, so you come up with all this stuff. Now, well, she can control the zombies, maybe. Maybe the stuff that he's injecting in the back of her head mutates, you know, somehow with, with her genetic makeup and, and it, you know, you have some kind of an X-Man mutation and, you know, that gives her an advantage and, you know, she's also fast and quick and she can... You know, that's not quite enough. She still has to use her mind and she still has to have the balls to shoot the guy in the face. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it just makes for, for an interesting character and, and an interesting journey. Uh, the look of it, I guess, I probably, I mean, if we'd had money, it would have been a lot different. There would have been all sorts of production design stuff in there that we, we couldn't get in there. But at the end of the day, all we could do was build a big shoebox in a, in a, in a warehouse, um, fit it with, you know, every weird button-looking prop that we could find, um, uh, and then just throw blood everywhere. And that was our production design. So that, you know, the, the fact that we had no money kind of dictated the look in a way. I mean, you, you look at the buttons and all the, the stuff, and it's terribly outdated. Um, like, it's sort of stuff from, like, the 70s and the 60s, but it's like it kind of works because it gives it, like, a retro look. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's fine. I also love mad scientist films. You know, I, I love the early sort of Frankenstein films where there's a guy with weird hair going, you can dive! Um, you know, I love those kind of larger-than-life characters, so I, I kind of wanted to do something in that in that regard. And it's just a classic... Like, you look at that scene and you're just like, that's just B-movie. That's a classic B-movie. People don't, people don't do B-movies anymore, and no. I love that shit. You know, I'm proud of the fact that I made a B-movie. They're, they're the best. Um, and I guess we, we took every B-movie cliche and just threw it into a big cocktail called Wormwood. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, it, I think it's fantastic. The colour really, really did it for me. And that, yeah, I love and that, that sequence. Stuff happened, that stuff just happened by accident. You know, I asked for a hazmat suit and it arrived, and I'm like, this is fucking awesome. It's bright yellow. Is it really what they like? And she's like, yeah, that's a hazmat suit. <laughs> I thought it would be white or something, and... And people are like, oh, it's so clever with the production design, choosing yellow. It's like, no, 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 this is an independent film. I didn't choose shit. (laughs) You just have to deal with it. And then people, you know, tell you that you're clever later later on for making those decisions. And it's like, no, no, no. There's there's no good, like, I asked for ten and I got two. That's why there's two. And that's that's kind of, that's how, that's in the film, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, Okay, so... I'm sure this is something you've been asked about quite a bit, but this is also something that I really loved was your zombie origin story. Um, I love the uniqueness of it. And, um, I did, I did a lot of study when I was in university about apocryphal writings and comparative religions and shit like that. And I love having stuff tie in and I get to feel smart when it shows up. Um, how, how did this kind of, formulate for you as an idea and what other what other zombie origin stories did you toss out before you got to this one uh not so much to talk about but you sort of go through the list you know and, I, and you get sick of viruses it's just like look every zombie movie in the last 10 years has been virus mm. um and I, I wanted something a little bit more mythological and a little bit more simple and you look at george Romero's original film they didn't give you any ideas or clues of what's going on it's just like look okay today is normal and then tomorrow, the dead just rose from their graves and started eating people. And so it gives you no clue as to why. It's just the end of it's just the end of it all. It's the end of days. And I like the less exposition in a film there is, the more I like it. You know, I. Um, but with this one, I was brought up a Catholic. You know, so I've been I've been Bible, so to speak, all my life. Um, and the only section of the Bible that I ever really read and liked 
um, you know, other than some of the, you know, the, the, the New Testament Jesus stuff, which is nice, um, is Revelation. Revelation is one of the greatest pieces of writing in the history of the world. It's fantastic. You know, there's dragons rising from the sea. There's, um, God, there's uh, burning crickets. There's, uh, oh, it's just everything. You know, rivers of blood. It's, it's so huge and gargantuan in its scope. Um, that I just knew that, like, my only understanding of the end of days is through that chapter, you know, through Revelation. And so I just picked up Revelation, and I saw the word Wormwood, and I knew that that would be incorporated. And the the, um, the funny thing is I always knew that it would be, you know, uh, the, 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 the Wormwood concept, because, you know, the idea of the star called Wormwood that falls to the earth and... Um, you know, uh, uh, muddies all the waters and kills large sections of the population of the world. You know, um, it's a great concept and it's a great metaphor for the zombie thing. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I, I, I never really thought that Wormwood would be what it was called. Um, and we, we thought and we thought and we thought, for like literally like over a year, like this film went untitled. We just didn't know what to call it. Um, and I couldn't think of a single thing. You know, we've got stupid ideas like let's call it death rocket. No, that's retarded. Let's call it fuel. No, that's a little bit like that's kind of independent film pretentious. But, you know, that doesn't mean anything. And then eventually, I just went, all right, it's Wormwood. We all know it's Wormwood. Um, and at first, I was kind of depressed and upset because it's a stupid word. Wormwood. No, it it's awesome. It's so there's worms in wood, like it doesn't really make any sense. But but the longer it stuck, the more I liked it. And um, the naming was quite funny because we went into the studio canal, our distributor, and and um, they said, look, um, we've talked to the UK and we want to call it uh, Wormwood. We want to call it Road of the Undead. And um, I just wanted to put my fucking head through a wall. I was like, yeah, over my dead body. Um, and then I kind of started thinking about it, and they, they just made a lot of sense. They're like, look, mate, like, Wormwood's a great title, but it's not going to search. You know, if somebody, if somebody doesn't know anything about Wormwood and just wants to watch a good zombie film in a couple of years' time and they're searching online, they're not going to know Wormwood is a, is a zombie film. And, and so I thought about it, and I thought, am I going to be one of those artists who goes, no, I'm sticking to my guns and I want my artistic um, license, or am I going to admit that filmmaking is, is where art meets commerce and quite frankly, Wormwood, Road of the Dead, is a film that is clearly a zombie film. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what, not only does that allow it easier for people to search, but it means that I can start a Wormwood brand. So Wormwood 2 isn't going to be Wormwood 2. It's going to be, you know, Wormwood Queen of Darkness or some bullshit like that. Um, so they'll just have, you know, there'll be a series of Wormwood <laughs> movies maybe, hopefully. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, I can just change the subheading every time, which is actually... Kind of clever. So I was like, no, I like it. Um, but, but Road of the Undead, fuck no. <laughs> and then it's just like Road of the Dead, kind of, Road of the Dead, like Dawn of the Dead, and it just uh, flows off the tongue, and it, you know, there it is. So, yeah. I like it. Um, now, it's something that, that set me off right away when I first got the screener was uh, the comparison to Mad Max. And I know that gets a lot of people excited, um, but I kind of thought that was bullshit. And I don't, I don't know how you feel about it, but I felt like it was one of those things like, oh, it's a movie by Australians set in Australia. Oh my God, just like Mad Max. Let's compare the two so people have something to compare it to. Well, actually, 
I kind of yes and kind of no. It's one of those things where you look at it and, and like this film is nothing really like Mad Max. I mean, he does lose his family at the end, and he is a bit of a grumpy bastard, and he does drive a pretty interesting looking car. And that's where the similarities. Oh, and they drive on the road, obviously. So yes. He is some sort of a road warrior. But then it's not Mad Max at all. Like there's so many different characters, there's so many different things happening. It's, it's got such a different. Oh, it's just it's just a different movie. But the reason why I don't mind the comparison is because as a filmmaker and as an Australian filmmaker, Mad Max. I mean, to, to you guys, Mad Max is just a film. To us, it's a religion. Like it is our Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up watching Mad Max, and not only that, I grew up um, where I'd, I'd be attending parties with my mum and dad as a kid, and um, there'd be Mad Max stunt guys there. And I remember very clearly meeting a big bikey called Richard, and um, he came up to me and I was sort of talking to him, a big intimidating looking guy, and he had a hundred stitches in his head, and I said, where'd you get that? And he said, Mad Max. Um, <laughs> A motorcycle hit me in the head. So I grew up with the mythology of Mad Max, but also being very accessible to the Mad Max world. So people we knew were in that film and nearly died. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, just the the way it was shot, uh, the feeling of it, like the, the fetishistic armour and the helmet uh, and the tone of it, it's very, very Mad Max because that's, that film has influenced me more than almost any uh, film from my own country. So... No, I, 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 I think I think the comparison is fine. You know, I mean, it may, it may not be apparent to other people, but it's, it's certainly apparent to me. And I'm just hoping George Moore doesn't sue me. <laughs> I think you're safe. Well, right. you never know. <laughs> yeah, anyway, that's uh, true. But do? you know what? There is a new Mad Max movie coming out, so maybe it'll help. Oh my God! How good does that look? Oh my God! I know. Amazing. <gasps> yeah, looking forward to that one. No kidding. Um, okay, so I have my obligatory question that I ask everyone. What is your favorite horror movie? Yeah, um, look, I love horror. A uh, huge fan of the genre, obviously. Um, it's got to be The Exorcist. Like, Yay! It's be. Um, <laughs> there, there's, there's no more perfect horror film in the world. And it's funny because, you know, recently William Friedman has been coming out and going, oh, the Babadook is most perfect. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You, you did the most perfect one you did a long time ago. I love the Babadook, but... The Exorcist is just so fucking scary. I remember seeing it when I was a kid, and I was convinced that I was going to be possessed by the devil. And the thing about the devil is he's not around the corner. He's not going to come at you from the rafters. He's not even in your cupboard. He's in your head. And that concept scared me so much. Um, you know, that you can't run from something. It's in your brain. There is no concept scarier than, for me mm-hmm. anyway, as a stupid Catholic. Um, <laughs> Um, but, you know, that the devil's going to come in and, and make you do things. Um, and he's, he's just there. There's nothing you can do. Um, I, I, I just thought that the, the directing, the score, the acting, the tone, uh, the cinematography, the lighting, the fact that it feels real, even though insane and stupid things are happening, you know, like a head spinning around. But, like, it feels real. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he did it, but um, I don't think anybody's better than it. I don't think there's ever been a horror film scarier than that. And uh, I think he's going to hold that mantle for a while, to be honest. I think so, too. That's my favourite horror film as well, so I always get excited when people say it's theirs, too. That's good, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, well, it's just, there's nothing that compares to it. It's, um, it's the best. It's the best news, yeah. I agree. Um, so I want to ask you one last question about your upcoming project. You kind of hinted yeah. a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? 
Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a block of heady bizarre material. Um, there's some very very weird concepts in it that I'm just sort of struggling. So there, there's so many things in it that it's hard to get it down into just a normal linear uh, screenplay. It's kind of like a very Lovecraftian sort of Stephen Kingish Hellraiser-esque, basically R-rated Ghostbusters is how I sort of describe it. But it's not really, because Ghostbusters is all based on gags and silliness, and Mm -hmm. this is a pretty serious, hardcore film. But, I mean, it's basically, you know, the same tone as as Wormwood, but we're going to do for Ghosts and the Paranormal what we did for Zombies in Wormwood. So it's uh, it's got a really weird, hardcore steampunk aesthetic. It's got some crazy shit in it that you've never seen with a ghost film before. But it's one of those things where I've, I've been, I've been, I'm a big fan of The Conjuring and all that kind of stuff, but every single horror film out now is just like, there's a ghost in a house and it's got a puppet for a friend and there's a kid and it's like, well, I'm just, it's the same shit mm-hmm. um, over and over again. And I just, I long for the day where, you know, there's a ghost in a film and somebody picks up a big fucking gun and just shoots it. Um, I'd like to, to bring some fun back into that genre, you know, because I'm a, I'm a big fan of ghost films too, you know, so I'd like to, to shake that up you know, a little bit in the next one. I love it. I love it a lot, actually, so I hope you'll keep me posted on that. Yeah, well, I'm, 30, I'm 37 pages in, which is good. I've broken it fast, but it's, I think we're doing so much Wormwood work at the moment that it's really hard to get back to that screenplay. Mm-hmm. And I, just, I kind of, I'm, I'm loving all the attention and stuff at the moment, but I'm just like, I just want to go away to a cabin in the woods and finish this screenplay, because <laughs> that's what I'm good at, you know? It's like, it's all very well doing media and jumping around and pretending to be like a you know, a filmmaker guy. But really what I like to do is just, it's the work. I like I like to create art. I mean, I just, um, I can't wait to get back into the next one, you know. So it'll be, it'll be probably low budget again. It'll be shot in Australia again because uh, I just want to keep making films here for a bit. And, um, yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be very strange. But I think the imagery that, that, you know, once we start putting stuff out there, I think people will be pretty excited because it's not, it doesn't really look, or feel like anything else in, in, in that genre. So, yeah, it should be good. I love it. I love it already. I'm very excited for you. Well, I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you gave me way more time than I was expecting, and uh, that really beats that 10 minutes that I was going to be getting through uh, through the other people. So. Yeah, no, no. It's, I much prefer long form. I really do. Um, uh, I, I'm a big podcast fan. Um, you know, I've listened to Mark Marin a lot, and the... Um, uh, the Nerdist podcast is great, mm-hmm. and uh, God, even the Kevin Pollock chat show is quite good. And what's the other one? Is DP30? They do where it's long form, just like thirty minutes with a, with a filmmaker uncut, and that's mad because that, that's where you learn. <laughs> um, you know, you, you don't, you can't learn from a soundbite, but you can learn from listening to somebody for thirty minutes. It becomes more like a, a lecture or something. Absolutely. Which is, um, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of long form. So well, that's that's, that's the really way we like to do it. So it's yeah. so much it's so much better, and you get to know so much more about the person who's made the film and how they're passionate about it. And I really love that. So thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure, my absolute pleasure. So yeah. All right, I'm going to stop recording. All right, Jack. I think it's time for us to do our headshots. What do you say? I say go for it. All right. All right, Jack, what do you got for us? I got one, and it's 
pretty massive. Um, <laughs> I a few weeks ago I came up with an idea, um, and I didn't know that it would happen. It was just something I thought, oh, this could be fun, mm-hmm. and it looks like it's happening. Um, the idea was I wanted to create an anthology of A-list zombie horror authors who would take the skeleton of a story that I would create Mm -hmm. and we would all write the same story, but through our own voice and, you know, we would take the story wherever we wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. So it is happening. Um, And the list of authors is pretty amazing. Um, We've got uh, Brent Abel, Armand Rosamelia, Mark Tofu, Heath Stallcup, Mike Evans, Sean Chesser, Eric Stallman, or Eric Shellman, John O'Brien, Jay Wilburn, and Joe McKinney, and myself. That's awesome, man. So, yeah, these guys have never been brought together in a single anthology before. So, um, and I just I thought it would be fascinating, and I thought I, I always thought the readers would be would love the idea of having a bunch of writers write the same story and see how different it was. Right. So no, it's, it's, it's yeah. um, I've already I've got my I just finished my story last night. I've got a couple of others in um, it, probably not going to get all the stories in until uh, May. I've already got the editor lined up. So we're looking at probably uh, early summer release. But uh, I'm really excited about this. And uh, it's 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 one of those projects that, you know, you that comes along, you know, maybe once in a lifetime. And mm-hmm. uh, and we're hoping we set it up such that. Um, that if this is if if it's successful, we can write a second one. Oh, so awesome! Um, but uh, it's I'm pretty pretty pumped about it. Well, it's fantastic, Jack. I I think it's going to be awesome. Make sure you check that out. Um, any other headshots, Jack? Uh, you know uh, that'll cover it for now. I think. Right. Um, actually, you know what? I'll say this. Um, I finished the first draft of um. A story that I'm that I've got titled called "The Dark Seduction." Mm-hmm. Um, it stars the band Die So Fluid, um, and uh, the singer Grog has read the first draft and she loves it. She passed it on to the guitarist and drummer. I'm waiting to hear back from them, but if they give it the green light, it'll go to my editor and it'll get published. And it's, I'm you know, it's it's one of those things I started a while ago, and I'm trying to continue this thing of of working bands into stories. Um, I've got an idea of who I want to target next. Um, I'm, you know, I'm always looking for other bands. Um, you know, I've got my series, uh, my zombie radio series. That uh, you know, if you if you got a band and you're looking for some really cool free PR, mm-hmm. uh, get get in touch with me and let's see. We'll see if we can work something out. I just released Zombie Radio Two, which stars um, the metal band out of Milwaukee. Their name is Forty Ounce Fist. That's awesome. And uh, so, you know, it's, it's just one of those things I like to do. I, I know that, um, you know, even, you know, <laughs> I, I did uh, The Last Casket with Kitty in a Casket. And through this whole process, I've realized that um, a lot of these bands, um, you know, some of them, the people have day jobs. Yeah. And, and they have to do everything they can just to make sure that their artistic endeavors continue on. And so when I realized that, I was like, well, what can I do to help them besides buy their music? Because I do buy their music. Um, and and I, I came up with this, with this idea where I'm, 
You know, I'm writing these books starring these bands so that the fans of my books can go, oh, maybe I want to listen to this band. And, and Kitty in the Casket has actually found a lot of new fans through my readers. And I'm hoping that Die So Fluid, who is a, just a phenomenal band to begin with anyway, um, I'm hoping that they'll do the same. And I want to continue it on. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm researching new bands right now. And, you know, so if you're, if you're in a band and you want to get some really killer publicity that not other bands are getting right now, get in contact with me. Yeah, get a hold of Jack for sure. He's uh, that's a great way of inter- integrating. Uh, yeah, uh, mu- musicians. You know, and so, some people think, you know, what is this just self serving? You just it's like no, it's not self serving. Um, I I get uh, I I make sure that I when I'm when I'm pimping my stories, I I pimp the bands as well because it's a very important to me that they get something out of this, and 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 I know what's important to those bands is to get exposure because they yeah. need it. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And so hopefully, you know, I'll continue this. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I have an idea who I might want to, um, actually, I, actually I've already, I, I've already submitted an idea to another band, but they're like my, all, my favorite band. <laughs> and um, they, they said there, they, they, when I, I sent them the message on, one of their Facebook groups and they said, you know, send it to this address. So everybody in the band and our manager can see it, but they're on, they just got out of a tour in Japan and they're, so they're really busy right now. So I'm holding my breath that, (laughs) that, you know, this is one of those things that if this band agrees to, I will probably die from excitement (laughs) and not be able to do the project. (laughs) They're, they're like, I was I was actually listening to watching a video of theirs this morning and my wife was like, You're obsessed with that band. And I said, I'm not any more obsessed with that band than I am Rush. Yeah. And I thought, oh wait, I'm really obsessed with Rush. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, yeah, okay, you got me. Oh man, that's awesome. Uh-uh. Uh, all right, I know the else? band's not Rush. I did not reach out to Rush. Yeah, that that would be really crazy and cool. Well, man. they you know, they they just they did um on their last album, Clockwork Angels, they had an author uh write a steampunk novel uh called clockwork angels i read it it's yeah it's okay <laughs> um but you know and and uh another one of my favorite bands coheed and cambria has their their novel the year of the black rainbow which again i read it and it's like mm, it's all right <laughs> um but i'm hoping you know from the feedback that i've had from the books i have with bands in them that no one has said mm, it's all right everybody loves them so um but that that part of that is you know, going for the smaller market bands that really want to really get excited about it, want to ha- want to work with it. So. Yeah, yeah. All right, Jack. Anything else? <laughs> I'll shut up. Now. No, no, no. No worries. I, <laughs> I I find it fascinating, man. I think it's awesome that you're collaborating and and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, <laughs> my my um, uh, crazy cool stuff, not just crazy. I'll <laughs> <laughs> add some of it's crazy. My uh, my only plugs go to. Uh, Wormwood, Road of the Dead, our interview with Kia Roach-Turner. Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity and Kat the opportunity to get uh, get an interview from you, Kia. Really, really appreciate that. It's, it's uh, you know, it's fantastic. So thank you for that and continued success with Wormwood. Make sure you go check out Wormwood, Road of the Dead, out now. And um, I'm going to tease an upcoming interview uh, that I have brewing right now. So 
be on the lookout for that. Uh, I with that, I think we can put everything to rest, right, Jack? You got it. All right, let's do it. The normal question, the first question, is always: Are these cannibals? Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.